This morning's readings can be found on page 1066 of the Standard Bibles and 1701 of the Large Print Bibles. And it's from John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank for it himself? as did his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. 
Um, for those of you who haven't met me, my name is Bex, or I could do a Janie and say, I am <laughs> Bex. Did anyone else notice that on the video? Was that just me? <laughs> I think we should introduce ourselves um, to each other like that from now on. It could be the St. Saviour's way. Or maybe not. Let's stick to the script. <laughs> Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you um, are sitting here having been brought up in a Christian family and you've known God all your life, or whether um, you don't know God um, that well at all. You could be at either end of the spectrum. I've been a Christian for a little while now. Um, I came to faith at university when I was about 18, 19, and uh, I thought I was pretty cool back then, had it all going on. You know, I had a, a, a good boyfriend, um, I had a 1990s pixie cut hairdo, do you remember those? Lycra mini, DM boots, crochet jumper, can you see it? Yeah. Okay, so looking back, probably not that cool. Um, and it probably sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I would say um, I probably felt a bit restless and a bit dissatisfied in my life. Growing up, I got the message that of course I could find satisfaction. I don't know about you, the messages that I got were I could be anyone I wanted to be, I could have anything I wanted to have, and do anything I wanted to do. Of course, um, I don't know who that would be for you, I wanted to be baby in Dirty Dancing. <laughs> That's my cultural point of reference. Okay, so hands up if you've seen the film. Hands up if you think it's like the best film ever. <laughs> yeah, still love it. It was just me and Johnny and the watermelon in my mind. This, of course, was fueled by uh, movies and books and magazines I was reading at the time. And I would say, talking to people at university today, that actually not much has changed. Those messages are pretty similar. I don't know if that's been true for you. On the way to becoming baby, or perhaps Wayne Rooney, or Gordon Ramsay, or Donald Trump, um, or Mother Teresa, whoever you had set your sights on back in the day, or who you have set your sights on right now, the message I got then was, fake it until you make it. Play the part and you'll be fine. So what does that look like? Well, these days I would say a cool Facebook profile, uh, I don't think anyone's noticed that my profile picture is about 10 years old and pre-children, so that's good. <laughs> you need a million friends uh, and Twitter followers. You need some on-trend but not try-hard clothes, a perfect beach body, the right sound and career with the right sort of perks. You know the deal. Now, I don't know how satisfied you're feeling right now. Whether you're still at school, whether you're just going to university, whether you're starting a career, whether your children have left home, whether you're retired, whatever life stage you're at, however long we've been a Christian for, I think it's a good question for us to ask. So, how satisfied are you this morning? I don't know how satisfied you'd say you are, but I do wonder where those messages that I got growing up, um, where they got me. After all, I'm still not baby, apart from in my mind. So there I was at university dreaming of Patrick Swayze, and uh, I met a girl called Emma. Some of you might have heard the story before of how I came to faith. She was very fun, she was gregarious, she had lots of friends, um, she had uh, an interesting flair for fashion, we would say, um, and a real zeal for life. 
But she and a couple of her friends were also into Jesus. And they spoke to me about how Jesus, far from being boring and irrelevant, or some kind of fairy tale, could actually satisfy us. So my first encounter with Jesus was at university. And as Mike mentioned earlier, I'm carrying on our series this morning about encountering Jesus, different encounters with Jesus through the Gospel of John. He did um, Nicodemus last week, and I want to see who was listening. So there's a little test coming up. What three questions did Mike ask us about Jesus last week? As a little prompt, I'm just going to say, Ginger the cat. Does anyone remember? Mike can't. (laughs) Okay, are you still is the start. Can anyone remember one of those questions? Just shout it out. Are you still seeking, searching Jesus? Well done, number one. Are you still... (laughs) Are you still astounded by Jesus? And are you still responding to Jesus? So there's a little reminder. Today I want to focus on Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. And this is a well-known passage. I'm sure lots of you have um, read it many times. But I'd love to just draw out a few points this morning, um, especially around the question of satisfaction. So my first point is that Jesus welcomes each and every one of us. He welcomes each and every one of us, regardless of how we're doing at any particular point in our lives. In the passage from John's Gospel, Jesus is traveling with his disciples and is on his way from Judea back to Galilee. So this this is in verses 1 to 7. He's passing through another area called Samaria where he stops for a drink at a well and he meets a Samaritan woman there who he starts a conversation with. And that's, you know, one of the things I love about Jesus is he's always longing to start a conversation with us. So in the story of me coming to faith, my lovely friend Emma and I um, were in a nightclub, and you might remember that story, um, that that was actually where I had my first encounter with Jesus, was in a nightclub toilet. Later that same year, I bumped into a friend called Nick, and um, I said, oh, where are you off to? He said, I'm going to a prayer meeting with Emma and a few friends. And I was thinking, well, I haven't been invited. Right. I'm going to show them. I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. I'm going to crash their prayer meeting. Um, I have a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out, if anyone isn't sure what that was. I was just really outraged that I hadn't been invited, despite the fact that I wasn't yet a Christian and I'd never been to a prayer meeting before. So um, I went along and The group there, um, whether they thought it was strange or not, um, didn't show it. They they were very nice to me. Um, And I had been thinking on on the way, you know, how hard can this be? This praying thing, I can make it up. It's going to be fine. So when it came to a little lull in the conversation, I said my little prayer. And to my surprise, I actually felt this incredible welcome, this unconditional welcome. That was my experience. You see, Jesus welcomes each one of us, no matter why we're coming to him, where we're coming to him. And in the passage, Jesus is sitting down to rest at the well. When the Samaritan woman approaches, um, he asks her for a drink, and she replies, this is verse 9, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
Now, the background to the story I'm sure lots of us again are familiar with. At the time, the Jews despised the Samaritans, and this dated back to the Assyrian invasion of Samaria, which had taken place about 500 years before. When Assyria invaded Samaria, they captured the middle classes and other influential Israelites and replaced them with people from Babylon and other nations. These people then intermarried with the remaining Israelites and introduced other gods and religions. They became known as the Samaritans, or the untouchables to the Jews. They viewed them as racial half-breeds whose religion was really tainted. The Jews, and let's not forget that Jesus and his disciples were obviously Jews, hated the Samaritans. So the Samaritan woman is a Jewish outcast, but she's also outcast from her own society. How do we know this? Well, she arrives at the well at noon. Now, um, the sixth hour, the passage says. This is the hottest time of day when usually people would avoid walking out to the well. And she's alone. So most women would go early in the morning um, in groups because it's a nice time to chat, um, or later in the evening. So either this woman is avoiding her own community or they are shunning her. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt on the edge, if you've ever felt not quite part of things, that somebody's been shunning you or passing you over for something. I know I have. I think that's a really common life experience, starting uh, from when we're quite young at school and carrying on through university and workplaces and so on. So that is what's going on for the woman here. When Jesus asks her for a drink, he's breaching social custom on three different levels. Firstly, the racial barrier that separates them as Jew and Samaritan. It's like she's Irish. Cheap joke. (laughs) I did see a couple of heads pop up then. Secondly, the moral barrier at the time um, <clears throat> would have been, uh, the, sorry, the time of day she was at the well would have been an obvious sign to Jesus that she was ostracized by her community. You know, we can be so judgmental, can't we? And thirdly, there's the cultural barrier that at the time would have prevented a man from speaking to a woman alone, let alone a Samaritan woman. Yet where everyone else judges her and excludes her, Jesus draws near and wants to start a conversation. He wants to welcome her. And that's why she's completely freaked out and says, why are you talking to me? Of course, no matter how long we've known Jesus or how mature our faith, we all have times when we feel um, that he's far away from us. I certainly do. And if you are struggling this morning, if you're struggling to experience his welcome today, then I'd really encourage you to come back to him His arms are always wide open. And what can we do practically? Well, when I feel like that, I get someone that I know really well and trust to pray for me. I go back to um, parts of the Bible that have encouraged me with what Jesus is really like, so especially the Gospels or some of the letters in the New Testament. I also... um, I'm a bit of a sporadic journal keeper, but I do have some um, journals where I've kept note of answered prayers and times when I've really experienced God's welcome. So I will go back and read those as well. So that's my first point, that Jesus welcomes each and every one of us. And his welcome is unconditional and never-ending. It's not that he welcomes us once and that's it. It's continually there. My second point is that Jesus knows us inside out. 
He really knows what I'm like. He knows the slippers and dressing gown backs. It's quite, um, I don't know what it is. It's quite something. There we go. In verses 16 to 18 in the story, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman to go and fetch her husband, to which she replies, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not um, your husband. What you've just said is quite true. He knows her inside out. And one of the ironies of that message I grew up with about being able to do any, to be anyone, do anything, have anything, is I ended up feeling that that responsibility was entirely with me. It's kind of all up to me. So what um, probably should have been a source of possibility and opportunity ended up being a pressure. And to be honest, it still can. And uh, my friends who I've talked to about this kind of thing would say that that can stress them out too. It's sort of up to you to make it happen. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. When I look back to those university days, if I'm honest, I see someone who um, was at times lonely and quite isolated, despite having a boyfriend, despite doing a course I enjoyed, and despite having friends. But something clicked for me that night in the nightclub toilet, and also that first um, prayer meeting that I wasn't invited to, where I encountered Jesus, and I realized that he knew me. He knew me. And far from the condemnation and grace I was expecting, what I experienced was welcome. Did I just say condemnation and grace I was expecting? Judgment I was expecting. (laughs) What I experienced was welcome and grace. To be honest, I didn't really understand half of what my friend um, Emma was talking about when she spoke about God. And it seems um, that this Samaritan woman at the well had the same experience. I'm quite encouraged by that. She has a chat with Jesus, she engages in conversation, but she seems to have little understanding of who he is or what he's going on about until he shows her that he knows her inside out. You know, in these days, five or six relationships may not be that big a deal, but don't underestimate the social ramifications and the shame that would have gone around um, being in a situation like that for a woman in that context. And Jesus can't possibly have known about her situation. They just bumped into each other. And the woman realizes that Jesus knew this truth about her from the start of the conversation, but that he welcomed her, he struck up the conversation, and he gave her his time anyway. And this is a real turning point for her, as it was a turning point for me. And I wonder about those turning points in your lives. I've often spoken to people who've said to me, you know, I'm just, that there's various things that I'm just quite ashamed of in my life. Um, things I've said and done, or things that um, they feel people would judge them for, or wouldn't like them for. You know, we have that sense that, you know, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. I don't know if you guys have felt that. I know I have. You know, I'm not a good enough mom, I'm not a good enough wife, I'm not a good enough Christian or friend or daughter or whatever the thing is. And many of us have done things that we are ashamed of in our lives that we feel might separate us from God. We've maybe gone too far like the Samaritan woman. We may have hurt other people. We may have let anger get the better of ourselves or spent too much money or had affairs or lied or been out of control with food or sex or alcohol or gossip Or maybe we've just allowed our spiritual lives to become stagnant. 
We may have lost passion for Jesus and become numb when we try to engage with the life of the Spirit. If this is where you find yourself at the moment, then know that we have all been there. It's normal. I would encourage you, though, to talk to someone, a trusted friend or someone in your life group, one of our trained listeners that we have here at St. Xavier's. Come forward for prayer ministry as a good starting point. And if you need it, do seek professional help. At St. Xavier's, we do want to be a community that are open, that are honest, that are accepting, and that are real. And we want to extend grace to one another, um, both within and outside our church community. And I think we're doing really well in this. So let's take it seriously and keep working at it. This will enable more and deeper encounters with Jesus, which will bring more health and wholeness uh, to us as a church. And don't forget, God is not looking for perfection. None of us is perfect. What he's interested in is our hearts and our devotion. Jesus sees openness to the spirit in the Samaritan woman, and that's enough. That's enough. We are more than enough. That's what we need to know. So God welcomes each and every one of us. He knows um, each and every one of us inside out. And he loves each of us, imperfect as we are, and broken and wonderful in our humanity. My third point is that Jesus offers us a life that can, will satisfy. So when he's talking to the woman at the well, Jesus says in verse 14, "'Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again.'" But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Now, I don't know how many of you got into the Olympics. It was a little while ago now. But Josh Davis, who was an Olympic gold um, medal winning swimmer, said this. I had finally tasted the best the world had to offer, and it was sweet, but oh so short. Having had a taste of glory, I now felt empty. It was sobering to experience the shock of a high so high, followed by a low so low. I think it's maybe what some celebrities or CEOs or gold medalists might tell you in a secret safe place, that when you've climbed to the top of the ladder, it's not everything you thought it would be. I think a lot of people, despite um, doing amazing things and despite appearances at time, actually don't feel satisfied. I remember one um, summer when I was at university, I went traveling around Thailand. Um, has any, have any of you done those crazy, like, 15-hour bus trips overnight? Yeah, lots of nods around the room. So we were doing that. There were four of us together. We were running late, and we only just made the bus. You know, that kind of, like, throw your backpack in. Okay, yes, we've made it. Brilliant. Sit down. Then we realized that between four of us, we had two bottles of water about this size. Like, okay, this is not good. We set off, and then within about 10 minutes, it was clear that the air conditioning was broken on the bus. So it was absolutely boiling. Uh, the water quickly ran out, and we all started to feel pretty miserable. We were thirsty, we started to get headaches. As the night wore on, we started to feel nauseous and lethargic. It was horrible. Now, it's easy to take water for granted, isn't it? Especially in England, where it rains a lot. <laughs> But the human body can only last three days without water, whereas it can last three weeks without food. And I think that's a good little reminder. I don't know what you reach for at the end of a hot day, what, um, what drink really does it for you. Don't tell anyone, but I have been known to, on those particular occasions, go for a full-fat, dirty Coke. Nothing else will do it. <laughs> But Jesus talks about himself as water that quenches our thirst and claims that he can satisfy. 
When he's talking to the woman at the well, he talks about himself as living water. And as we all know, water and its life-giving properties is an image used throughout the Bible. And it's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit and the life-giving properties of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says, For I will pour out my water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, God declares, My people have forsaken me, the spring of living water. So when we encounter God, just like the Samaritan woman, we encounter his living water. We're offered his living water. What that really means is an offer of relationship with Jesus, a meaningful, loving, and satisfying relationship with him. And the other thing is, anything we try to replace it with will leave us thirsty. Verse 13 says, everyone who drinks water will be thirsty again. So I've got a question for us again this morning. What is it you use to fill your needs? What is it I use to fill my needs, to satisfy the thirst we have? Is it money or food or shopping or alcohol or unhealthy relationships or sex or power or the celebrity world? Now, our culture encourages us to seek these things. We heard in that video, didn't we, what makes you happy? And that's just a feeling for a short time. And many of them are the marks of success in the modern Western world. Now hear me right, I'm not being a killjoy. Those things in their proper place are good and healthy. It's when we start using them in uh, unhealthy ways that it's not so good. And also, if these things um, quench our thirst for a while, they ultimately result in death. But the life of God, the life of the Spirit, God's living water, he offers real hope, acceptance, grace, and truth, and ultimately, eternal life. So, for me, looking back over 20 years or so of being a Christian, that has definitely been my experience. I'm not saying he's a genie and my life has been sort of without any problems and troubles and all that kind of thing. That's not how it works. But relationship with him has been uh, life-sustaining and satisfying in a way nothing else has. So Jesus welcomes each and every one of us. He knows us inside out and he offers a life that can truly satisfy so my fourth, controversially, I'm doing four points, not three, in the tr lovely evangelical tradition. So here we go. And my fourth and final point is more of a challenge, really, than a point, which is this. Let's extend God's welcome to others. Let's invite others to encounter Jesus. And let's extend his welcome to each and every person we know in our lives. It's a small challenge. After experiencing God's welcome and acceptance, that's what the Samaritan woman did. Here's the story again, verse 29. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. So the woman extended God's welcome. Now I'm forever grateful to my friend Emma for... Um, praying that prayer in a nightclub toilet, which, you know, let's be honest, is quite a nuts thing to do. But it led me to encounter Jesus, and that has been absolutely amazing in my life. So how are you feeling about extending God's welcome to other people? 
where 10 is that you're sort of brimming with confidence, you can't wait to get out there and tell everyone, and zero is, I don't know what to say, I don't have the confidence, um, I wouldn't know who to talk to, I feel totally inadequate. Just in your mind, where would you put yourself on that scale this morning? I imagine the Samaritan woman was probably not that high on that scale. Don't forget she was ostracized from her community and she was living in shame and condemnation. So after encountering, encountering Jesus at the well, she probably set off back to town with um, some fear and trepidation. She anticipated the reaction of those people who had already judged her, who had already written her off. But I'm encouraged because she does leave her water jar behind, which says to me that she was actually a little bit excited as well. And I don't know if you've ever had that sort of mix of dread and uh, adrenaline going at the same time when you're going to talk about God things or spiritual things. That could just be me. The woman then tells the people of the town about her encounter with Jesus. And what I love about that in verse 29 is it says she tells the people. Not some people, but the people, which suggests everybody in the town, or at least everybody that she meets and bumps into. I think many of us do lack confidence in extending God's welcome to other people. Um, I certainly have at different times and certainly do still. I mix with this, um, sorry, I identify with the Samaritan woman's mix of fear and excitement. I think it's normal to be unsure of what to say or how to say it, to be worried about looking stupid. It's normal to feel we don't know enough. We're not like that kind of Christian. We're very quiet about our faith. We don't say anything. Or to worry about how people might react. But in verse 39, a bit later on in the story, when we hear what happened after the Samaritan woman went to the townspeople and told them about her encounter with Jesus, this is what it says in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. It's just really exciting, isn't it? If when we do talk about Jesus, people come to faith. And the Samaritan woman's confidence must have really grown as she began to tell people and they in turn encountered Jesus and knew life with him. So practically, what does it look like for us individually and as a church to extend God's welcome? Well, firstly, we have a guest Sunday coming up. Sunday, the 27th of October. Um, Mike's going to be speaking. He'll be speaking particularly to people who don't normally go to church. In fact, the whole service will be geared towards people who don't normally go to church. They'll be really accessible. And the last guest Sunday we had had a great buzz and lots of people brought people with them. So do please be praying and thinking about who you can bring to that. Our guest Sunday on the 27th of September is about 10 days before our Alpha course starts. It is planned like that on purpose. <laughs> we will invite your guests on the 27th of September as well to come along to Alpha. But of course, you can be inviting people along to Alpha as well, which is a fantastic way to bring people into the church and to hear about Jesus. That starts on Tuesday the 6th of October. We saw um, the little video earlier. Um, so hands up if you have not done Alpha before yourself. Don't be shy. Let's pop them up in the air. 
Okay, brilliant. I would love to invite everyone who put their hands up, and those of you that didn't but haven't done Alpha, <laughs> to come and do Alpha. We would love the whole church to have done Alpha, and that's for a few reasons, really. Firstly, it's a great way to meet other people in the church. Um, secondly, it's a great refresher to our own faith, no matter how long we've been a Christian for. Thirdly, it will really help equip us in welcoming others into God's kingdom. And effectively, that's equipping us for the Great Commission. And of course, it's an easy ask for your friends, your family, your colleagues, those people you've been meaning to invite to something at church for a long time. Bring them along on the 6th of October. There'll be a lovely meal, a talk, um, and a chance to chat in small groups. It's always fun, and the guests um, always have a great time. So do get inviting on that. So those are two really easy ways that we're extending God's welcome as a church. But you might be sitting here thinking, that sounds great, Bex, but I'm not sure how to ask someone or, or to have that conversation with them. So I've got some quick tips um, for us today. They could all actually be summarized by the first one, which is this. Number one, be normal. I think we need to be reminded of this in church at times. Let's be normal. Let's talk in normal voices, with normal language, in normal ways to other people, whether they're normal or not. Let's avoid Christianese. By that, I mean that crazy spiritual language that we have. We live in a subculture. Every group has its own little subculture of language and um, that kind of thing. And we in the church have it too. That might surprise some of you. We do. <laughs> So avoid saying things like quiet time and prophetic word and I discerned God's will because people will be going, you what? Let's just be normal in our language. I'm saying these things not to sort of mock um, having a subculture, that's just part of life, but actually they can be a barrier to people. So let's just take away that barrier. Let's avoid super spirituality. I remember hearing J. John preach years ago and he said, do you know what? God does not care what color socks you wear in the morning. Let's be real about our faith. So let's avoid super, super spirituality. I think being normal about being a Christian is important. You know, if someone says to you, how was your weekend? We can just drop it in. It doesn't have to be weird or intense. We just say, yeah, it was great. You know, we had a barbecue. We hung out with some friends. The kids played football. We went to church and we saw a movie. It's normal. We need to normalize it for other people as well. I like this little analogy of playing tennis, where um, when you're thinking of inviting someone to something at church or um, praying for them or whatever it is, engaging them in some kind of spiritual conversation, it's like a tennis match. So you serve, which might be, hey, you know I go to church. We've got this dinner thing coming up for the start of a course, wondering if you'd like to come. And then you wait. And if they hit the ball back, which might be like, oh yeah, so when's that happening then? Game on, you can play. Now if they don't hit the ball back, if they go like, oh yeah, no, it's not my thing, you don't then carry on smashing balls at them like, yeah, but it's really good and you don't know what you're missing out on and you're not washed in the blood and you need to be and, you know, let's just stop. And actually, they may come back for a game another time. And that's better. So we need to be low-key but confident. Be sensible, obviously, about where and when you talk to people about these things and how you do things if you're praying for someone. 
Um, I'll often say to someone, just as a starting point on those things, if I know that they're having a difficult situation, I'll say, do you know, um, I don't know if it means anything to you, but um, I, I'll be praying for you. And that just lets them know this is a normal part of your Christian life and you will be doing it. And then don't forget to pray, obviously. Uh, do tell your story. We don't need to know anything, any theological sort of, um, we don't need deep theological knowledge to be able to tell our own stories. You know, coming to faith story or a story where God's made a difference. You know, I sometimes say to people, this is going to sound nuts, you know, if I've hurt a part of my body and they say, oh, how's your back? You say, well, do you know what? One of my friends prayed for it and crazy as it sounds, it's actually a whole lot better. It's just normalizing it for people. And the most important point uh, or sort of tip at this point is to follow the Spirit's lead. Follow the Spirit's lead. I was talking to someone in the office the other day. I know she won't mind me telling this story. And um, she said I was praying, or she said I was asking God for people to pray for. And she said, I just feel terrible because I could only think of one person. And I said, oh, well, that's brilliant because that is who God wants you to pray for. You know, sometimes we may get 10, sometimes we may get one, but actually follow the lead. And that's the person that God will be preparing for us to talk to. Pray for opportunities to speak to other people. And obviously use the opportunities we have, like Guest Sunday, like Alpha. Um, There's a Laser Quest night coming up for Children's Church. They can bring their friends. That's a great way to start the conversation, for them to be able to do it with their friends and you to be able to do it with their parents. So use those opportunities. So there's a few practical ways that we can extend God's kingdom. Don't forget to invite people to the guest service and to Alpha. And um, I do want to encourage us as a church, we are already a church that's fantastic at welcoming people, but let's take it to the next level. And as I finish, let's enjoy God's welcome. Let's live in the reality of being known inside and out. Let's enjoy a life of satisfaction in meaningful encounter with Jesus. And let's extend his welcome and offer of life to others in our lives. Let's love God, love people, make a difference. Hope you like what I did there. (laughs) Amen.